Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Friday, December 8th. I'm Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, multiple Hines County polling sites ran out of ballots during the general election in November. Now a coalition is demanding answers about how that happened. Then we continue our conversation with an investigative journalist about allegations of brutality by Rankin County Sheriff's deputies. Plus, victims of violent crime are being remembered by their families this holiday season. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. A coalition of legal and social justice organizations are demanding answers from Hines County election officials about the ballot shortages during November's elections. On November 7th, some voters were asked to wait extended periods of time while more ballots were printed. Hines County courts attempted to keep polls open longer than 7 o'clock, but those additional votes were thrown out when the decision was overturned on appeal because of a complaint by the state Republican Party. Organizations such as Mississippi Votes and Black Women's Roundtable say this should never happen in the state's largest and blackest county. Amir Bedat is a voting rights attorney with the Legal Defense Fund, a national nonprofit for racial justice based in Washington. We are deeply troubled by the ballot shortages that occurred here in Hines County. Through the reports of voters and our poll monitors on the ground, we learned that as early as noon on Election Day, polling locations across the county began to run out of ballots. This resulted in extremely long lines and, in many cases, voters not voting at all. Some polling locations that ran out of ballots were resupplied with ballots in the matter of hours, and that prevented voters from being able to cast their ballots, and many people left the line while they were waiting. Through media reports, we understand that the Hines County Election Commission has provided several explanations for what caused these problems, including confusion caused by split precincts and insufficient training by the Secretary of State. While we recognize and respect that the commissioners have taken responsibility for the ballot shortages, Hines County voters still have questions. And in in an effort to get answers to those questions, And to ensure that these problems are not repeated, our coalition sent a letter to the Election Commission in Hines County and the Circuit Clerk on November 16th, asking for a meeting no later than the week of November 27th to discuss several topics, 
including the process used to determine how many ballots needed to be printed, as well as the training received by election commissioners and the election commissioners' responses to reports of ballot shortages. We received a response from the election commission on November 21st, stating that they were not available for a meeting with us the week of November 27th, but that we could attend the commission's monthly public meeting on December 12th and provide 15 minutes of public comment. We did not believe that a public comment session was the most appropriate or timely venue to have a conversation to address the issues that happened. So we told the commission and the circuit clerk that while we'll attend the public meeting, we still want to meet with them separately by December 6th, which was yesterday, to specifically discuss the problems of ballot shortages. As of this morning, we have received no response from the commission or the circuit clerk to that request. Badat says the Mississippi Center for Justice has also submitted a formal request to get more information on why there were shortages of ballots. While we received a response from the circuit clerk, we have still not received a response from the election commission, even though we are past the seven business day statutory deadline for a response. We hope to work together cooperatively with the commission and with the circuit clerk to proactively address the issues that happened before the 2024 elections. We hope to receive their cooperation, but we are prepared to use whatever option is necessary to address the problems that happened. We will attend and provide public comment at the commissioner's meeting on December 12th, and we call on Hines County voters to attend and provide public comment. Tell your elected officials about how these ballot shortages impacted your ability to vote. Ensure that your voice is heard. The events that happened on Election Day are unacceptable. Hines County is the largest county in Mississippi. It has the largest black population of any county in Mississippi. Given the unbelievable obstacles that black people in Mississippi have had to face in order to overcome these barriers and exercise the franchise, we cannot allow these problems, like ballot shortages, to keep folks from voting in Hines County or anywhere else in Mississippi. Kira Roby is an attorney with the voting rights group One Voice in Jackson. She says issues like this deprives people of their right to vote because many people can't stand in line for hours at the polls. Around Election Day, our Election Protection Hotline received approximately 225 calls from voters across the state requiring assistance in attempts to exercise their right to vote. These calls range from questions about abrupt and unknown voting precinct changes to questions about absentee voting procedures to questions about suspicious or uh, suspicions of voter intimidation. In addition to these issues, on November 7th, our election protection hotline received numerous calls throughout the day of polling places who had run out of ballots. And callers to the hotline, uh, although we urge many of our uh, voters, uh, as many voters as possible, to stay in line on election day until the ballot issue is resolved, many callers to the hotline were unable to do so because they had to get back to work or get back to children. I want to be clear, the overall fact that Mississippians across the state had difficulties voting on November 7th is not highly irregular to any other election since the inception of our election protection program. And that is because across the board, the right to vote has long been denied or restricted to far too many people, especially in Mississippi. 
In fact, Mississippi's voting laws are some of the most restrictive in the nation. Data suggests that Mississippi is the second most difficult state to vote in. Many obstacles lie in the way of electoral freedom in this state, including voter ID laws, voter purging, voter suppression, voter intimidation, holding place closures and consolidations, gerrymandering, and disenfranchisement, just to name a few. We appreciate the hard work of our election, our local election officials throughout the state in ensuring that the right to vote is carried out as clearly and effectively and efficiently as possible given the troubled history and current practices of those behind the state's restrictive voting laws. Our purpose today is to elevate the voices of all voters who called the election protection hotline, sought assistance, and bore with us as we tried to resolve the issue and to try to get help. The Hines County Election Commission will meet next week. Voters are encouraged to attend and provide testimony. Coming up, we continue our conversation with an investigative journalist about allegations of brutality by Rankin County Sheriff's deputies. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. What are your holiday traditions? Driving to see relatives? Baking treats? Curling up on the couch near the fireplace? MPB Think Radio can be a part of each of these holiday events. Listen on your car radio or your smart speaker, along with on-demand favorites like Deep South Dining and AutoCorrect inside the MPB Public Media app. Start a new tradition today, listening to MPB Think Radio while you celebrate the holidays. Hi, I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, host of Southern Remedies, Relatively Speaking. Join the conversation every Tuesday at 11 as we dissect issues that are important to you and your family. That's Relatively Speaking, Tuesdays only on MPB Think Radio. I'm Peter O'Dowd. Carbon removal startups want to offset emissions from parts of the economy that are hard to decarbonize, like aviation. Can we trust them? It is essential for startups to be enthusiastic about their prospects. I'm always kind of advocating for a little bit of like sobriety, a little bit less enthusiasm. Next time on Here and Now. Today at noon on MPB Think Radio. An evening of jazz can be just what the doctor ordered. Join me, Meredith Michelle with WJSU's Evening Jazz, 7 to 10 weeknights on MPB Music Radio. Happy Holidays from Mississippi Public Broadcasting. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. A recent article published by the New York Times in partnership with local news outlets shines a light on an alleged long history of racism and violence within the Rankin County Sheriff's Department. This fall, five deputies and a Richland police officer pled guilty to charges of violent crimes against two black men in a home. Despite the numerous accusations against the department, Rankin County Sheriff Brian Bailey hasn't stepped down from his position. Brian Howie is a fellow with the Mississippi Center for Investigative Reporting. 
He and a team of reporters spoke with more than a dozen people who had substantial claims of abuse by the sheriff's department. He says Sheriff Bailey continues to deny any knowledge of systemic wrongdoing, and even though the reports span nearly two decades. Several of the cases that we identified actually occurred before Brian Bailey was elected sheriff. Now, he was at the time either under sheriff or a narcotics detective during these other cases, and so he was still employed by the Rankin County Sheriff's Department during these uh, older cases. Brian Bailey was elected in 2011. Our earliest case was from 2004. But that being said, the vast majority of the cases that we identified happened under Sheriff Bailey's watch. And we also identified a mountain of evidence that would have been available to the sheriff that pointed towards his deputies misbehaving, or I, I suppose that's even an understatement, that deputies' brutal actions towards the residents of Rankin County. And what you determined, based upon what you found out then, he knew what was happening, and this culture started before him, but was allowed to continue throughout his reign, and he's still there. And he ran unopposed in November for re-election. Correct. Brian Bailey ran unopposed. He was recently re-elected sheriff. Um, as far as we know, the the only way uh, that Brian Bailey would uh, no longer be the sheriff in Rankin County is if he decided to step down or uh, if he was criminally indicted. And people have called for him to step down. Organizations have called for him to step down, but he has refused. And we've also learned through other reports that he is the highest paid sheriff in the state, making $140,000 a year. That's correct. Were you able to find out how officials in Rankin County feel about this? Were you able to connect with any county officials? We attempted to reach out to several local officials before we published to get some sort of comment on this um, and, and with, to the uh, federal authorities who are investigating uh, the Rankin County Sheriff's Department. And uh, across the board, we, we got little response, if any at all. In light of Sheriff Bailey still being at the helm, there are probably, based upon what you found, still officers on the force who have been involved in this type of behavior. Uh, the undersheriff, Paul Holly, you state was at one incident. You don't know what his role was, but he did resign recently. Right. Sheriff, uh, undersheriff, or former undersheriff Paul Holly uh, was present during one incident. We cannot say what his role was in this incident whatsoever, whether he was involved in torture or whether he was simply on the scene during the arrest, as well as several deputies who still currently work for the department. You know, we have tried to reach out to the department to get them to confirm the employment status of several deputies uh, and have not heard back yet. But um, we do know that at least several of the deputies who were involved, and in some cases deputies who were specifically named by accusers as being part of the torture or who were shown through taser logs to have triggered their tasers during these incidents. I still work for the department today. Have you found any incidents where officers were reprimanded or faced suspension regarding the use of force? 
We asked the department for records of discipline, uh, for records of complaints filed against deputies, but the department declined to provide those for us. We do know that multiple deputies who were triggering their tasers numerous times, often far above the nationally accepted limits on taser use, uh, don't appear to have reported that taser use or any other uses of force during these arrests. Even when the taser logs show they deployed their tasers, even when mugshots show that people being arrested were obviously injured during these arrests, um, even though we have multiple interviews in several cases where people claim they were beaten or otherwise tortured, and we have eyewitnesses to confirm that, and yet the uh, incident reports show nothing of the sort. The incident reports filed by deputies describe a, a, a peaceful arrest that was uneventful. Um, but uh, as far as we know, multiple of these deputies who appear to have been filing these reports that ab completely contradict what the arrestees and witnesses say, uh, they appear to have gone on to long and successful careers at the department. These two men, most recently, who have garnered nationwide attention because of their torture, are suing for $400 million. But there have been previous lawsuits against the county and law enforcement. What has happened with those, do you know? Well, these lawsuits are yet another piece of evidence that would have been right in the front of Sheriff Bailey's face. Uh, at least a handful of lawsuits filed against the department alleging that deputies associated with the goon squad, uh, Brett McAlpin chiefly among them, uh, choked them, beat them, forced them to conduct drug sales. Um, over the years, these are, you know, these are incidents dating back to 2010, um, including the Gerhardt family whose home was raided during a late-night drug raid, a mistaken drug raid uh, that was meant to be conducted on their neighbor's home. Um, you know, they had Brett McAlpin and several other officers burst into their home. Brett Gerhardt was thrown onto the ground by Brett McAlpin, kicked in the face, and had a gun pressed to his head, so the lawsuit alleges. Um, and yet, three years after this incident, Brett McAlpin was named uh, Investigator of the Year by Sheriff Bailey. Um, and so what we're seeing here is that despite all of these warnings, these deputies were awarded, promoted, and continued on uh, with, with little to no scrutiny that we're aware of. There were victims then that did get some money or some compensation as a result of their suffering? Correct. The Gerhardt family received an undisclosed settlement uh, in 2020, 10 years after they uh, after this incident. Um, another man named Carvis Johnson received a small settlement. I think it was um, two thousand uh, dollars as a result of several lawsuits that he filed against the county and the um, the sheriff's department for his treatment, uh, both being arrested and in jail. Um, other than that, uh, two of the people who sued the department represented themselves, and their cases were dropped because they were unable to understand the court proceedings or they missed court deadlines repeatedly. 
Um, you see in their letters to the judges, they were complaining that they were not receiving their legal mail or that they were not allowed to use um, the the county jail's legal library while they were representing themselves. And so they were at an extreme disadvantage in trying to file these cases. Do you think, and I don't know, this would be a supposition, that over time, because of these lawsuits and the payouts and all of the attention this has garnered, that the pressure will become more intense for Sheriff Bailey to step down? I would be surprised if if the pressure did not increase after the story came out, because at this point, the the evidence is, is, is clear here that there were clear signs available to Sheriff Bailey over the years that his deputy's conduct was inappropriate. I want to be careful here in just saying that these are these are allegations. What we've uncovered has not been confirmed yet. There have not been any criminal charges. And so um, none of this is um, legally damning in any way, shape or form. These are these are simply allegations by people in the county who we have supported with department records and um, eyewitness accounts. Brian Howey is a fellow with the Mississippi Center for Investigative Reporting. Coming up, victims of violent crimes are remembered by their families this holiday season. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. What are your holiday traditions? Driving to see relatives? Baking treats? Curling up on the couch near the fireplace? MPB Think Radio can be a part of each of these holiday events. Listen on your car radio or your smart speaker, along with on-demand favorites like Deep South Dining and AutoCorrect inside the MPB Public Media app. Start a new tradition today, listening to MPB Think Radio while you celebrate the holidays. Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit provides information on how you can lead a healthy lifestyle. I'm the host, Josie Bidwell. Search for and subscribe to Southern Remedy on any podcasting app to not miss any episode. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Relatives of people who died from violent crimes honored the loss of their loved ones during a Christmas tree decorating ceremony in Jackson yesterday. It's the 20th annual ceremony hosted by the state attorney general's office to remember victims and their families during the holidays. Attorney General Lynn Fitch spoke to a small crowd of people who attended the event. They placed small ornaments adorned with pictures of their loved ones on the tree. I'm so very honored to be here with all of you today. It's very special for us to be together to show respect for each of you and all you've been through and to continue to support you and uplift you and to always show that you are not alone, that you are on this journey and we are right here with you on every step because you have lost a loved one and we are here to be with you, to make that better, to be supported, to be empowered. We want, we want definitely to be sure that we are providing you with the, the journey that provides peace and hope and dignity for those that you've lost. To all of you who are here today, as the families, the friends, the support that you've lost a loved one, you know, those are some pretty impassioned words. 
They're easier to say, but you all live them. You live them every day. Thank you for overlooking and being able to lift up and provide good over evil. Because certainly, that is very challenging for each of you. But you do live those words, and as you do, know that your family has certainly been victimized through these horrific criminal acts. It impacts everything that you do every day of this entire year. And you do experience a, a range of emotions, as you should. And we know that includes, some, it's painful. Again, the frustration, the sorrow, and the anger. You know, it's right for you to feel all those things. It's right for you to have all of those emotions that you experience every day, time and time again. But for us, what we want you to know is that you're never alone. That we're here to support you. As the families of victims hung their ornaments, Fitch said she was glad to continue this tradition of making sure families across the state know they aren't forgotten. What's so special to meet those family members who have lost their loved ones that come, some of them have come in many years, and they bring their family with them, they bring the children, the grandchildren. It's just such an opportunity for us to celebrate the loss of their loved one, to keep that legacy alive. So it's very, very exciting, very special to have this time together. Again, they've gone through some horrific times. It's very challenging for these families. So to be here together, again, to celebrate their loved ones. The event on victims of homicide, drunk driving, and other criminal acts. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.